Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning focuses on stories from the field as leaders implement collaborative response. Join us every month as we invite our partners to share how they are meeting the diverse needs of students with the integral understanding that every child deserves a team. Welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. Curtis Lorna and I are joined today by Nick Moskalek from Calgary Board of Education, where Nick is one of the acting mathematics specialists there. So hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so Nick, I know that Curtis is thrilled to have you here because he is excited that as we are growing our podcasting journey, that you have one of your own yeah, yeah, I do. So I am the host of Ready, Set, Growth uh, podcast. It's a, it's a podcast aimed to help uh, teachers with the how-to. Um, I think we get, I think we've, we've gotten really hung up in the last, you know, five, six plus years in professional development of the, the why, and not that the why isn't important, because um, I'm going to touch on that in, in this, in our conversation, but um, I think when I was starting the podcast, I really thought about like, what do teachers need? If we're going to talk about things like inquiry and project-based learning and whatever else it may be, people have such limited time. They need to know how, and that's, that's really what I try and aim to do. So Nick, I remember this distinctly when we were in our first session, you were with Rosedale school yeah. and engaging in collaborative response and i'd mentioned at one point you know we have our podcast and then you and i had that little connection of oh where's the podcast oh let me yeah. show you mine and went and read and look and again you meet someone on screen and then you go oh my goodness there's this many yeah. episodes and he's talked to yeah. all of these different people and wow yeah yeah, yeah kind of exciting it is and I, and i think uh it's one of those things i really get a kick out of teachers that do things away from teaching. I, I think that is, I think it is critical. Um, but I thought it was cool when, when you said you were doing a podcast as, as well. It was, it's not something I try and, you know, bring up too, too much, but you were doing oh. one. I don't think I would have brought it up, honestly. Um, but when you said you were doing it, I, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Another teacher podcaster. So, yeah. Okay. So I have to ask you, have you ever had any surreal moments of, I don't know if anyone's listening. This is almost for my own PD than anything else. Have you had a situation where, oh, you're the Nick from that thing? Has, has that come um, up? I mean, like, I wouldn't say to quite that extent, but I think it's really cool, um, you know, on my Instagram in particular, where, you know, an episode that I was like, okay, yeah, that was good. Like, yeah, I liked it. And then, I get feedback where it's like, oh my God, that saved this unit for me. Like oh, you cool. saved, you know, you get those messages every once in a while where someone is just like, wow, I, I, I did this one little thing that you mentioned and I put it in place and the change was huge. So, you know, it's, you know, Curtis, it's even like when I get an email from you and I've had a real long week battling COVID here and you, you specifically mentioned something. And I think, I think, you know, collaborative response 
um, really speaks to that where it's like we're see you see people and giving that specific feedback like when you wrote me that email and, and you really pinpointed something I just thought oh okay like people are hearing it and like to me that specific feedback is massive yeah exciting to hear okay so I have to take a small divergent and then we'll get back to what we're here Jen you haven't okay. heard this story yet so last night by the way Lorna and my if we start shouting um we were at a concert last night uh we went with and we uh, still can't hear yeah a couple of our daughters and uh the son-in-law uh were there i go to the washroom and three gentlemen uh come in all wearing the same shirt that they had just bought they were joking about you know i wonder if anyone will recognize that you know we might know each other i'm washing my hands i turn and i go you just need two more people and you'd have a full-on ice squad with it and one guy jokes and says you want a t-shirt i can't afford it as we're just having a little banter anyway then the one guy goes and looks at me and goes collaborative response <laughs> isn't a, that awesome <laughs> so funny. at a concert washroom uh, at That's the funny. sinks mind you otherwise it would have been a, a different conversation and yeah teacher from a northern alberta school that uh, had been in a school a couple of times as soon as he made that connection i went i know exactly where you were sitting on the last I, day i was there i i you know i i was just kind of talking to someone about this where it's like the teacher down the hallway is the best pd but i think a close second and maybe a tie for first is connecting with teachers who are sharing blogs podcasts whatever it is they may be doing there's something about the teacher community that like if you're a teacher you immediately can connect with someone it, and it doesn't like it's just it doesn't matter where you know yeah absolutely you know what nick that's really funny that you say that because that is uh that's exactly where we started it was mm -hmm. just what we knew we knew there were things missing in our school and so we just started to try different things to bring teachers together to collaborate to yeah. identify the needs of students but we never did it for the intention of one day we'll write a book oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or one Further day same. we'll be leading professional learning across the province like we had no intention at that time it was only about how do we meet the needs of our school and our school community and then it just began i started moving organically from other schools watching other schools asking and it does come back to that from each other and yeah but it does come back to that um we are all teachers and we're yeah. always interested in what what are what are you learning that i can gain from and what am i what have i learned that i can share yeah. with you too oh totally totally yeah. all right jen so i hope i didn't take us too far off course with a concert story here to start <laughs> off because i know that you uh you have a question that you want to start off to get us primed here with nick well, Lorna was sharing how you guys uh, came into collaborative response and people asking. So that's how I became connected. Stumbled into collaborative, collaborative response. Like it was, it was AC projects years ago yeah. that got my coordinator and Lorna connected. Mm -hmm. And that was how I came into it. So Nick, how did you initially get introduced to collaborative response? Okay. So, I mean, it's definitely not as romantic as, as any of those things, but um, <laughs> so I, um, so I, moved to Rosedale from AE Cross to become the division three learning leader. So I was leading up the six to nine group. And um, in area three, 
Um, there was a, a push. I, I, I believe there was a pilot project specifically with area three schools. Yeah. And essentially I went into it at mid meeting and, and I was told like, Hey, this is what, here's this information. Here's what collaborative response is. We're going to do it. And, uh, I've always been one of those, maybe it's the sport athletic background in me where it's just like, okay, let's go do it. And then the more I read, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, sure. Like, why not? This makes sense. Like this makes sense to me. And, um, I think we can get a lot accomplished through collaborative response. Um, and any chance we can improve leadership. I always, I do like being part of pilots because I feel like it's a safe place to ask questions where if you're not piloting, you almost feel like you kind of need to know the answer. And I think when you pilot, um you're it's it's it feels like a safer place not that you guys wouldn't be if you weren't piloting something but um to to me it was just like well sure like if we have to do something like this in the next couple years why not be part of a pilot i i love that like we've always stressed before you know when you're trying certain things within your school and we're going to get there like a numeracy screen that we're going to utilize well, consider yeah. using a pilot, yeah, a smaller small group, group and see what happens. But I love even being explicit that the role of a pilot is to ask questions, to be critical, but not negative, be yeah. just really trying to help solidify the thinking so that when it moves beyond a pilot, it's it's just that much stronger. I think there's also a lot to be said, because I've been at a few schools where like just coincidentally, we've piloted different things. And um, whether it was, you know, Iris or Power School or whatever it may be, um, when you pilot, you are three, four, five, six steps ahead of people that are now like, oh, we have to do this. So now we're going to like, I, I, I know piloting can feel sometimes like a little more work, but I think it saves work on the back end, in my opinion. Yeah, very true. But so, even that, the the thought process that goes along with that of we're going to try some things and we know for sure there's going to be some things that aren't going to work and that's totally. okay. And yeah. being able to move forward on, okay, let's make adjustments and move along from there. That cycle of, of learning and growth as you go through a pilot, but really we should be thinking on those lines all the time. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> right? So Nick, I'm, I'm reflecting back last year and just for anyone who's listening or watching, um, been able to engage with Nick in a number of conversations, never in person. I've never actually seen legs or feet uh, here. I've seen from, you know, chest up here. Nick, but I remember coming into those breakout rooms and you and some of your team members really posing questions, but it stuck to me when you were thinking through of wrestling in that the whole school perspective, but I also have one foot in a numeracy lead, numeracy perspective of, okay, I get the big picture from the school, but how does that impact the classroom component in there? So talk to us just a little bit about trying to bridge that that um, idea of what impact or what influence does collaborative response have within numeracy specific and even more specifically at the middle school context you were in at that time? I think, 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because I think middle school in particular, middle school learners are very unique and they need to be thought they're not elementary, they're yeah. not high school. They get caught in this middle, but yet we kind of somehow take like parts of elementary and high school and try to like blend these two things together and that they are their own unique entity. And I think coming up with your own screeners, whether they're literacy or numeracy, I think is really critical in knowing who your learners are, especially Rosedale. That was a very small school. Rosedale was a very unique situation in the, in the Calgary board of education because it's a K to nine and there's only 250 kids at Rosedale. Yeah. So there's one class of each grade. And so we have to be even more targeted because our population is so small. So coming up with our own screeners, whether it's literacy or numeracy, lets us in more with who our learners are, especially when we know the kids, we know the kids very, very well. And actually the division knows each kid very well because there's only one class of each grade and each teacher gets their turn, sometimes two or three times with a class. Mm -hmm. um, so we're in a very unique situation at that particular setting to come up with a screener that's very flexible and agile um, that allows us to really know who our kids are, which I think speaks to that relationship piece with middle school learners that is so, so critical. And I, I'm not saying that relationships aren't important in, in elementary or high school. They, they no. absolutely are. But I think, you know, that 12 to 15, 14, 15 range is the, the identity piece is really key. They really are learning who they are. Um, we're learning who they are. And we have to kind of go through that journey together. And so I think coming up with your own screeners with through the lens of collaborative response, where maybe my grade nine screener was made by the entire team and not just the two math teachers, but also the literacy uh, specialists as well, the, the ELA specialists, the social studies specialists. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think that multi-view lens, regardless of subject, is, is very, very important. You are speaking to me right now, Nick, because- uh, yeah, We're gonna let Jen go. I'm, I'm, about, I'm about to make a math, statement math, that, ding, ding, ding. that I had a lot of people laugh at me for. My very favorite grade to teach was grade eight. <laughs> Okay, mine too. I love eights. I love eights. You either love them or people are like, what? What? Like, I love yeah. eights. People look at you like you're insane. <laughs> and okay, I was. So now my own daughter is in eight and I have that all the time too. I love her. And then you go, oh my goodness, what are you thinking right now? <laughs> yeah. But I was also a, a middle school, high school math teacher. So as you're talking yeah. about them being very different kinds of learners, I wholeheartedly agree. So my interest now is like, what prompted the idea of we need to develop numeracy screens? Like where, where did that start? Why did you develop your own? You're talking about relationships. So, interestingly enough, all our screeners, and now I'm not at Rosedale anymore. So there was a process of, uh, there was one session with you, Curtis, where we had to like look at like what our next steps were for the next year. So we mm -hmm. thought about 
and and now it was me and my AP who's a math science guy through and through and we were sitting there and we're like okay I think we need to think about literacy and and how like what what a screener could look like maybe not necessarily like a K to nine screener it just one in particular but like let's come up with the blueprint for a literacy screener that then like the team could then go take and then insert like reading and writing assessment skills. So what we did was I have this, um, it's literally four questions. My assessments, like there's nothing past 10 questions on any assessment I ever give. Okay. And I'm not an assessment specialist guru by any means. I just want to get right to the point of what kids know and how I can get feedback quickly. And so I have this um, assessment piece. It probably would be considered like an end of unit assessment piece in shapes and space for grade eight. And it, there's four questions. And essentially it goes from like, here are some shapes. What are the areas? Okay. The second one the is a little go. Yeah. done. That's it. That's all I want to know. And then the second one is a little more dynamic. You're kind of moving up in blooms. The third one incorporates two shapes and there's a money element and like it's all surface area. It's like a tent question. Then the fourth one is not, I wouldn't say it's hard. Like a lot of kids can do it in some way. And essentially it's a locker and you have to remake the locker. You have to have this, you have to have less surface area, but you have to make the volume bigger. And how would you do that? So you're like way, way high in blooms. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now we, we looked through this math assessment and we thought, okay, could we do the same thing in literacy? Now we're not literacy people. We're just trying to think like if we were to take something to the ELA specialists in junior high, because well, that's a, that's where we would have started. I think before we went into elementary is Okay, if we were to take this, what would they say about it? So we're going to take that model, four questions, and maybe we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we're going to go from like the bottom of blooms to the top with our reading and writing. And how would that look like? And then we never really got uh, to, the, to the point where we were installing that, or maybe they did, I'm not sure, but we wanted a, a screener that would look similar in math, Kind of similar like in same literacy kind of structure so, yeah the same kind of structure and you know what wherever the kids can enter that's what we care about so like for instance even with the math one let's say kids were like i don't need to do the find the area of a hexagon i'm like i'm good i want to go to this locker problem and really show you what i can do now they may only do one question and we talked about potentially like listen, give them an hour here, an hour here, whatever. Maybe it's, maybe it's chopped up. Let them even come back and think about some of their thinking to really show what they can do. Um, and, and it's not like this high stakes thing. It's like, hey, you know what? Listen, you wanted to start with the hardest one? Sweet, do it. Take the first hour to do that. And then if you want to come back on the next hour, like next week or the next day or whatever, however we would have set it up. If you're like, oh, I'm done. I did the hardest one. Maybe you're someone that works backwards to the easiest thing. Or maybe you're a kid that's like, I can only do the first one and that's where I'm entering. 
that for me gives me more information than anything I could come up with on a 30 question thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's like kind of, that was our thinking. So we, we almost started with the literacy before the math piece. Well, you know, Nick, when you're sharing that, we often talk about, you know, thin collaborative response and data and evidence. A screener is just going to help flag. Who should we likely be paying sure. attention to? Uh, so we often get asked, you know, do you know of any screeners for math and, you know, something that's normed reference and publishers publisher kind of pieces. And we always kind of worry about that context of, well, it has to be this tried and true through a publisher That'll in give order us a for score it to be that will effective. Be legit. And yeah. we've often said, you know, don't put the stress on finding the perfect assessment, put yeah. it into can it give you a flag to be able to then action, action out? So I love what you're saying with, you know, when we create this, our own, it's not intended to know everything about everything. It's supposed to just give us our, a flag of who should we be likely paying attention. A quick look in to indicate where, where kids are challenged in different areas. So, so where would you come out on the, uh, well, it'd be easier to find something from somebody else versus the approach you took of, well, let's, let's make our own and see what I mean, utilize that. I'm totally fine with coming up with a structure and then saying like, like when we were talking about that literacy uh, screener, I was thinking about what I had been watching my team partner do in Mm. his social studies or language arts. So if it's like, if maybe the first question is like an excerpt from a book that that uh, the style that they would be reading in like story writing for instance like maybe each question was a bit of a theme from literacy and one of them was like very basic can you read this and write and have a written response of what it means like i don't know like i'm not a literacy person i'm just thinking like if i do this in math what would this look like in literacy and then when I take this to my literacy people, what are they going to say about it? And then like, what would like, so if one question is like a one, two, three, four, as we move through the scale, what is a four? Like as a ELA person teaching, what is a four to you in writing and reading? I don't know exactly, but this is, this is what I kind of think it should look like. And that I think is kind of the beauty of collaborative response. Cause like, I already knew, like as Kurt and I were doing it in his office, I'm like, oh man, I cannot wait to hear what the ELA people say about two math specialists <laughs> putting this thing together. But the response was really good. You know, it's so interesting, Nick, when, as I'm listening to you talk, we often talk about, you know, the real power in collaborative response you put the structures and the processes in place but it's intended to allow us to do deep dives into conversations about pedagogy and practice and we generally see that happening within the collaborative structures and processes component of particularly the collaborative team meeting and then when you go and make your continuum of supports of course that's 
that becomes a deep dive. We don't often hear that the data and evidence component is also a place where we can have really deep conversations about practice and pedagogy. I'm really taken with this of, you know, sometimes it's just, well, we'll just find a screener and utilize it. We color code our kids and then that'll, that'll prompt the conversations about practice, but you're kind of flipping that around. To me, to me. Okay. So like, listen to anyone listening, if you are like using someone else's question, go for it. Yeah. I steal questions questions all the time. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Like when I teach grade nine, typically all my unit tests, when I have a unit test, they're all old PAT questions. That's it. But, but for instance, like if I want to know more than what a PAT question can give, but it's a really good PAT question because they do exist. I know there's people cringing, but let's say I have a great PAT question. I take the multiple choice out and ask them to draw something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I've taken a very standardized type question, or maybe, maybe I take a PAT question. I put it in my screener and I say, tell me where you think people make mistakes in this question. What, awesome. what a great way of synthesizing. You're getting towards that synthesizing in blooms. Instead of just putting your ABCD, I want to know. I don't even, maybe I don't even care what the answer is. Great. Give me an answer. Fine. Go for it. I want to know what mistake do you think kids make in this question? Wow. It's I'm I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) And I I know my head is spinning on this too, because we often go with screener, just simple, make it simple, but you're, you know, and we often see numeracy. I've even shown the example of, you know, just get the kids to do some quick questions and it'll give you an indication of who's got the building blocks to move on. But you're saying, no, you can still, you can do that screener, but with something that's really accessing deep learning and it'll serve the same purpose of flagging who should we be talking about. But here's the thing, what I'm suggesting does take a lot of work to go through, but if you only do four questions, if you only did four questions, but you knew they were really good, you're not going to spend a ton of time with the marking end of it, the assessing the feedback, you will get kids feedback faster four questions. That's it. Come up with a screener that has four questions and and see what happens. You know what, Nick, I, and I, I have to go that next step of, yes, you're using it as a screener to identify where students are at within that, that concept. But in a way, (laughs) you are also digging a little bit deeper into that diagnostic piece of how far can they Mm -hmm. go? How much do they know? And what are the, what are the specific elements that they're either missing or, or just don't have at all, or there are gaps there. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't like to anyone listening to this, it doesn't have to be more work. I think we get so hung up on diagnostics, like taking up more time. And I'm not saying, listen, I was an intervention specialist. I was, we were, I was just talking with this about a, with an old colleague. When I ran an interventions program at AE Cross, I marked all the MIPIs, all of them. Okay. <laughs> that is incredibly time consuming. Oh, it gave yeah. us incredible data. It gave us incredible data, but you can do this work in a super effective, efficient way. If 
you create your own screener, a little bit more work on the front end gets yeah. you great results on the back end. I also love, love the idea of you designing or thinking through, really, it's a framework for a screener that, that you're working through and that it applies to not only numeracy, which is where you started, but also could we use it in literacy? Could we use it in social studies? <laughs> There's we, so many applications for it. If a school said that our focus is on student engagement, could you use that same kind of thinking or framework mm. to create a, a screener? And for those yeah. that are listening yeah. to the audio, I just did the air quotes. Uh, <laughs> to me, I see application. So what do you think about the work you've done, Nick, and its connection to collaborative response? What are you seeing as an impact or what did you see while you were still at Rosedale? Um, I think I saw, I think I saw our, our focus shift to the relationship piece um, because when we would do a CTM, it was, you know, bring those two kids that you know, are right in the middle that you can move the needle on, which I love that work. Not, not that we can't move the needle on any other kids, but I think, I think those kids in the middle get overlooked because for whatever reason. Yeah. And I loved, I love that it was very structured. We're not going to sit here and, and have teacher talk about that one kid and consume all our time. We can do that away from here. We're going to bring two kids that we can we need a little bit of help on, we can move the needle on. And, and the funny thing is without, without trying, where, do, where does that conversation go? It talks about how do we interact with that kid? Oh, hey, just a heads up, that kid's parent is going through this or um, this family is going through this. And it's like, oh, well, I didn't know any of that. I thought they just didn't like me or something. So um, now I can interact with that kid differently um, maybe it's not trying to force a conversation. It's actually being more quiet with that kid and not trying to do those things. So a lot of it is like, yes, it's academic, but it's also focusing on, um, on the relationship piece of our middle, middle years learner. Well, and Nick, you're talking, you were saying before of that interconnection and interplay between sometimes what people see as dichotomous areas of learning of literacy is over mm -hmm. here and numeracy is here. Yeah. What did you see of the value when you mentioned the collaborative team meeting, when we come in and start to share and all of a sudden you start sharing, these are strategies I use in my mathematics classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, what did, what did you see when those, the strategies started to get shared rather than just the, the story think, that can go down know, a rabbit hole for kids? Yeah, I think a lot of it was, I think a little unintentional, maybe unseen where as a, as a learning leader and, and, and now as a system leader, and hopefully as I go into admin later on in my career, I really learned how to listen to other teachers. Not that I, I, I didn't before, but I think this process really let me soak people in and how they mm -hmm. teach because people are very, will say things that maybe they they didn't know they were saying about their practice. And then you're like, oh, that's why you do that. Okay. Like, I didn't know that. Or have you tried this? Because I'm hearing this. Have you tried this? Um, but I think collaborative response in its own way 
without you directly saying it, Curtis, in a session will mm -hmm. lead people to like hear someone, like really hear someone for the first time where you're like, oh, that's why you do that. Okay. I wouldn't have done it that way. But now that because you're explaining your thinking like, oh, that, okay. I, I don't know if I'll try it, but now I understand your thinking. Maybe I will try it because I you've explained why. Well, and I think too, I mean, our experience has been, especially when you get more subject specific, working with older students, that's kind of how our systems are set up. I, I get a lot of chance to access those that are similar subject specialties, but to be able to hear somebody whose specialization is in fine arts, for instance, and explain their thinking it, there's pedagogy I can pull out of that that can impact me as well. Totally. And I think there's also a lot of insight to your colleagues of like, you know, for instance, like why something bothers them when they bring something up and you're like, I've always wondered why does like, why do you get stressed about that? And then you hear their thought process and you're like, oh, well, we can do this to alleviate that. Nick, so you strike me as a very reflective practitioner. I, I try to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I try to be. I try. <laughs> well, you're you're definitely intentional in the steps that you take, but I I'm, I'm gonna put you in this place. This here. question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. So you've started the collaborative response work, you work with the numeracy screens, the literacy screens. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and give yourself then? I think it's important to know that it can't just be the admin team. It can't just be the, the principal, the AP, um, the learning leaders. They, we, we might facilitate, but you have to let other people in. Even the people who are not in the meetings with Curtis and the whole group, um, they have to be in. And it made me actually, I, I kind of thought about this question quite a bit. And Terry O'Reilly has this podcast called Under the Influence. And he spoke at the teacher's convention a couple of years ago or last year. I don't know, COVID season one or two. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if it was in his podcast or in his speech. I couldn't find it. But he talks about where um, there was like a quick mix or quick like pancake mix company where they were they wanted they wanted a product where literally you could just pour it in to like milk and like make pancakes but what he found was that people didn't buy the product and they only started buying the product after they did some research about like people want to actually be part of the process and so like they took out, they took out the eggs and the, in they took out two ingredients and literally all you had to do was mix eggs and milk. And there was something else like butter. I don't know. But the, 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 the point of the story is that people didn't buy the product because like it was all done for them. And it wasn't until people felt like, oh yeah, I'm mixing in the milk. I'm putting in the eggs. I got the butter, but it wasn't, it wasn't 
extreme. It wasn't like an, um, a massive amount of baking or cooking. But what he found was that as soon as they they actually made, because the product was was put forth to make it easy, but it was so easy that people were like, I felt disconnected from like the actual making of pancakes. Mm-hmm. And so I think CTM and, and, and collaborative response are very similar to this. If you make it so easy for people that don't feel part of it, they won't connect with it. So what I loved, what we did was that we like handed out the roles right away. And we made sure the learning leaders were not the facilitators so that people couldn't lean on us to to run the meeting. And and I think we had some really great, my my Rosedale team in Div3, uh, I really miss them. They're an incredible group. And even if there maybe was some like, oh, what is this? What are we doing? I kind of like, here it is. This is what we're going to do. And this is, and we would go through the process and it was now like, okay, you have to be part of it. And I think kind of like putting the eggs in the milk and the butter in as soon as they were doing that, oh, the conversations we were having were fantastic. I love that analogy. Yeah. We're going to have to go do (laughs) some research on that. (laughs) like that. Oh, Hey, hey, Nick, um, how would you respond? And I'm asking this because I've had through interactions with um, different educators within Calgary Board of Education, because there's some some really, really great structures that exist for kids. When you have that many schools, there's going to be amazing things happening uh, within. But I often hear the the piece of, oh, when when I look or I see what the collaborative response is, it's, oh, we're doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I saw that meeting. We do the same. We have meetings about kids too. How would you respond? Okay. I think this is actually a critical, critical question when we're talking about collaborative responses. Yeah. And, and listen, Curtis, my team said almost the exact same thing and not in a negative way, but they're like, no, okay, no, well, of course not. And yeah, again, it goes yeah. back to what you said at the start of, we have to be critical and think through. And, and so they brought that up and I'm like, listen, I think this was a situation where like, I think we lead with our why a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why this will be good for kids. I think doing the CTM was actually a situation of like, here's how we do it. We're going to go do it. And then you see the, oh, 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 hey, that meeting actually was really efficient. We were done exactly when we said we were be done. And we talked about eight kids. Again, we're a small school. We talked about eight kids, we're done, we're out of here, and we had an effective meeting. So I would say the structure of collaborative response is actually the most key response to it, where it's like, listen, this meeting will keep us on track. We got a timer, we got that interrupter, um, and we're going to get through this. We're going to be efficient, and uh, we're going to talk about some kids that you might not have thought about before, and we're, then we're out of here. Mm. So Nick, we're, we're kind of reaching the end of this conversation, but I've had a chance to listen to numerous um, episodes of your podcast. And I love when you finish off. So we're going to put you under your own practice here. When you finish off with who's someone that you think we should be talking to next. Oh man. You know what? Um, I'm going to go with a bit of an easy one. I'm going to go with my AP Kirk Gordon from last year, who's now moved to Balmoral in the CBE 
he I think is super creative guy I think he sees things in a way that um, allows for multiple entry points he cares about innovative practice and engagement um, there's so many good there's so many good people to uh, to talk to um, I remember the principal at who was it uh, Dr. Egbert uh, she was awesome. Mandy, I forget Mandy. her last name. Yeah, she, I know Mandy. She, yeah, and she always had incredible insights. Anytime I was in a group with her, I thought she was very thoughtful. Um, so I'm going to give you those two principles to go Perfect. check out and, and talk to. Well, and I think the interesting thing about that is both with Kurt moving and knowing Mandy's uh, history as well of being able to experience the work through two different school settings. It's yeah. always interesting to see how people take some fundamental understandings, but have to recognize, again, it's not cookie cutter. What worked no. here will not be the exact same process here. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think, you know, you, you see two administrators like that, that are at very different school settings in the same area would be really fascinating to me to, to get their insight. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being here and Absolutely. go grade eights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we appreciate your time. And I know our audience is looking forward to hearing more from you uh, on your podcast and we hope to see you back. So All right, awesome. Nick, give the final shout out the name of your podcast and how people can reach out to you beyond, uh, beyond this. We're of course going to put those details down in the yeah. descriptions, but share it out, my friend. So uh, my podcast is Ready, Set, Growth. You can get it wherever you find podcasts. Um, if you want to follow just some creative things that I do, I love Instagram. Um, it is Ready, Set, Growth podcast on Instagram. I try and put a lot of visual on there, um, just a lot of mathematical provocations and just fun thinking to change how we see math and hopefully see it in a creative, beautiful uh, lens. All right. Well, I'm not sure when the recording necessarily comes out, but it's a Friday afternoon for us as recording. And Nick, this has been such a great way to finish off oh, a Friday absolutely. afternoon. Thank you so awesome. much, Nick. It's you're, been you're very welcome, guys. I love it. I, this, this was really good. This was a lot of fun. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In collaborative response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. All right, Lorna, Jen, I've had the chance to meet Nick before. Um, I, I've been in these conversations and each time I am, it's just, oh, you start getting excited around the learning. It's, yeah. What your impressions? I think we need to go make pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I absolutely love that thought around 
you know, in order for people to really engage, they, they need to be a part of the process. And, and understand it's not simple. And, it's... and it goes all the way back to, we often will say, you know, collaborative response is not a program. And, you know, some people just in their uh, not quite understanding what it is that we do, they'll ask us, you know, how how does your program work? <laughs> Can we get training? Yeah. yeah, and that one day workshop that will allow us to uh, to do collaborative response. But really, that analogy that Nick shared around the pancake batter is exactly true. Is that you know we you we can't you it's not a program that you need that complete involvement of your leadership and your team to make site-specific decisions on how you move mm -hmm. forward. I really liked his approach around effectiveness and efficiency. So from the numeracy screens to the conversation about literacy screens to his approach with the collaborative team meetings, right? It's yeah. all about being effective and efficient and getting the most out of the time that you're spending. So, I mean, assessment in four questions, I'm like, oh. <laughs> but right there, that know, idea that we've often said and focused in on that you're, you're grappling, you're really wrestling yeah. with ideas. When you think about those three foundational components, it's integral in creating your continuum of supports and the collaborative structures and processes where you're engaging in that work. But I think Nick really alluded to something that's, you know, quite quite prolific and thoughtful of the, the data and evidence, the design of those screeners, that can involve some real deep conversations around pedagogy as well. And we don't, it doesn't need to be highly complex. In fact, it's almost like a podcast we had recently with Buck Mountain Central of the idea of having to simplify and condense mm -hmm. is actually really deep work. Um, so I love that, you know, the, the line that sat with me, I wrote it down, as he said, it was the idea in the collaborative team meeting to really listen, the words he used were mm -hmm. soak people in. And I thought, oh, that's such a great thing to think about that in that collaborative team meeting. It's not all about, I'll tell you what I do, I'll tell you what I do, but I'm really listening to hear somebody else's thinking, someone else's breakdown of how they approach instruction and learning well and he he used the words listening deeply yeah. in in those collaborative team meetings and and it just made me think about you know we often talk about you know leaders being part of that because they can learn so much about their staff and and the practice within their classrooms and that's exactly what he's speaking to is that when we're listening deeply to teachers explaining what it is that they do in their classrooms, mm -hmm. we come to understand that there are strategies that we can use in, in our math class, but those same strategies can be used in any class, regardless of the subject area. But, but you sharing that's going to start forcing me to think about my own practice yeah, as well, yeah. which is, again, right at the heart of that collaborative team meeting. So if we were going to summarize the key learnings. First one, make the pancakes, get people involved in the process so that they have an invested interest. Yeah. So love it. <laughs> Effectiveness and efficiency. There is a purpose mm -hmm. to the structure and what we do with intention in order to get deeper information. Mm -hmm. And three, listen deeply. 
in the collaborative team meetings so that you can learn from others. But he also talked about that idea of blog posts, podcasts, listen to the people that are sharing so that you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. That was so incredibly yeah. powerful. And boy, I'd love to be able to hear lots more about his work. So. Yeah. And Jen, once again, nailed it with the three three key points. Love it. Can't wait for the next time we get to uh, dig into the work with another school. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again for more conversations about establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response.